the start of the game. So, I want to just go back again to how prophets receive their messages and how they, if you like, authenticated themselves. Because it should have become clear now that establishing oneself as a true prophet really was problematic. Because there were lots of other people who would be saying the same kind of things and making out that they were. And if you find the first book of Kings, chapter 22, We get something of the uh, of the situation, the, the issues here. That this is a chapter that the king who's spoken about is Jehoshaphat in chapter twenty-two. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to spelling or anything like that would be pleased to know. But the problem is that it's whether or not they should go out to battle. And they want to know what God says. Is God going to say, yes, do it, or is God going to say, no, don't do it? And you need to ask, where do you go to find out what God's going to tell you? And the thought is, you've got to get a prophet to tell you. And they're asking the cult prophets, the professional prophets, the ones whose job it is to be prophets, and if you follow that through, to verse 13. The words of the prophet with one accord are favourable to the king. They're all telling the king what he wants to hear. But there's been this niggling suspicion that this may not be God's word. We better ask Micaiah. And Micaiah says, as the Lord lives, in other words, taking an oath on the name of God, what God says, what the Lord says, that I will say. And if you look at verse 17, and 18, What's it implying? What's, what has Micaiah said? In verse 17, what's going to happen to Israel? Scattered. Scattered. We're going to get scattered, so are we going to win? No. no. And in verse 18, what does the king of Israel say to Jehoshaphat? 
Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing beside him to the right and the left. And it's this idea of gaining access to what they understood as the divine council is the way they try to authenticate themselves. I've had a vision of God. I've been granted access to the divine presence. So where Isaiah sees this vision, Ezekiel has a vision, it's a variation on the theme of I've been granted access to the divine presence. And in Old Testament understanding, if God is king, who does a king have around them? Courtiers, advisors, who support and encourage. So they see the heavenly realm of God in that kind of a way. And that it's as though they've had access there and they've received the message direct from God. And so when they're saying that they've had visions of God, that is what they're effectively saying, that they've been granted access and that it's only the prophets who are granted that access to receive the message face to face, ear to ear, if you like. I don't know how any of the ancient prophets managed to communicate something of that aura that says, I truly am speaking of God. But there are too many stories of kings, of priests, of officials being reluctant to kill a prophet who we now have records of in our texts that says that the whole idea of prophecy was certainly taken seriously and that there must have been something about some of these individuals that just made the powerful wary. It might be of God. And if I kill somebody who is a messenger from God, what's going to be the consequence of that? Even worse than it might have been. So there must have been a way in which some of these prophetic characters, these truly inspired religious characters, expressed something that made the audience take them seriously. Yeah. The king wanted to listen to Micaiah. I know I won't like what he's going to say, but I don't think I can ignore him completely. So when we start to look at the relevance of prophets for today, 
we need to ask ourselves who are today's prophets? What does it mean to be a prophet? How do we translate the prophets of old into today's world? What are that some of the things that you think that matter? Do we believe that God does still speak through prophets? Yes. Just thinking of the environment, for instance. Somebody like David Attenborough who has made those programmes. And today there's been this launch of the the polar yeah. ship. Now, of course, he's an interesting character because he's atheist. Mm. Mm. So, God can work, and I think God does work, through people who are not in relationship with God. And God can communicate to people by ways other than the religious patterns. And going back into the Old Testament, you've got to say that God used Cyrus and actually calls Cyrus the Messiah in Isaiah. And he was a Persian and never became a follower of Yahweh. So God can be at work in people who are completely outside the community of faith. And there's an arrogance amongst us if we think God can only work through us or through the church. And if we think that God can only work through Christians, woe betide us. Um, that is certainly the road to destruction, I think, if, if we start to think just like that. So God can be a work, but are they prophets? Because what does a prophet do? Brings a message from God. So, who are our prophets? Do they need to be people who have the ear of power? So we hear these protests about Donald Trump yesterday. Would it be water off a duck's back to the whole of the establishment to be in this country or George Bush? All very grand and everything, but to have a big balloon. But whether anybody takes any notice. The prophets always seem to be able to be people who uh, somehow had access to the court, whatever that power was. But as we've discovered in the first part, it's only with hindsight that a prophet is recognised as being a prophet. So they might be ignored at the time. It might be that you're wary of silencing them, but we've got to cut up
because there will be some people who are motivated by their understanding of God and God's purposes. What comes through very, very clearly, we go back to that vision of Isaiah, and you could say the Ezekiel one. What was the difference between the prophet and God? God is transcendent, huge, sovereign, powerful. There's this vision of God and God's universal purposes and the goodness of God and the power of God that a prophet knows their own inadequacy in comparison so there's the humility of the prophet, but the sense of God. And if we're going to be prophetic, I think we need to spend more time re-engaging with our sense of the greatness of God and the majesty of God. You know, sometimes I think we're in danger of bringing God down to the boy next door, Jesus, our pal, who walks down the road with us, which that's a way we can know things about God, but actually God is mind-blowing. And, and let's not lose sight of that majesty and transcendence and the all-encompassing God who creator, sustainer, and what does God want for all creation? He wants it all to be saved. He wants it all to be saved. He wants to acknowledge again. Wholeness. Flourishing. To be in good relationship with itself and knowledge of God. For it all to interact as a unity. God wants everything to come together in a perfection that it all works in proper ways and that nobody's, you know, a hierarchy or a... No, everybody lives life to its full potential and that the earth flourishes. That's the purposes of God. So there's no partiality with God. If God's interested in justice, which we believe God is, it's not that God wants justice for you and stuff you. You know, if for you to have justice means you don't, then that's not actually justice. Justice has got to work in a proper way. So, Something of who God is and what God's purposes are, how we understand that for all creation, and of our, I'm going to say, insignificance in the midst of eternity and all creation, that we're just a tiny momentary thing in the midst of all that. But, you know. It doesn't all depend on it being done by next Friday at six o'clock. 
Um, you know, the scale of everything is bigger than that, but there needs to be that goal of what one's doing towards of this unity and unified whole where everything's working together. What did a prophet, why did a prophet start prophesying? Told to by God. Told to by God. Did they want to? No. no. So there's that sense of, I can do no other. So it, it may not be that everyone is called to be a prophet. There is that sense that some are called to a prophetic ministry. Not everybody. That doesn't mean to say we can all say it's not me, because what did every prophet say? Okay. It's not me. How do you decide who are going to be ministers? What sort of processes do you have? Oh. <laughs> it's a mixture of what? Testimony. Testing. Testing. And when a person goes forward for ministry, what often prompts them to go forward for ministry? Someone might suggest it. It's often somebody else discerns the gift in the person and suggests it to them and it takes them to... So often it's the discernment of somebody else that sees gifts in an individual that they don't see in themselves. Which goes with the humility, doesn't it? You know, if I think God wants me to be a prophet, then God probably doesn't. <laughs> But if you think God wants me to be a prophet and keep nagging at me, have you thought that God might want you to be a prophet? Then I have to start taking it seriously and, and, and thinking about it. And so it's the community of God's people that are going to be part of that process of discerning where the prophetic voices might be in their midst and be ready to shut somebody up who seems to be on their own high horse and recognise the ones who might really be the prophetic voices. But what's a prophet going to need if they're going to accomplish anything? Courage. Courage? Words. Hmm? The words, the knowledge. The knowledge, the words. Perseverance. They might get in all sorts of ways. What did you say? Perseverance. Perseverance, yeah. It might not work straight away. I will pick up the passage in a minute, but we'll just look, look at that. What? You have, you have have a sense in your vulnerability that you are not alone. That you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And how will you know that you're not alone? 
relationship with God. There's something about the relation, that relationship with God, but how else will we know you're not alone? Confirmation of others? Confirmation of others and support of others and the prayer of others and the encouragement of others. Yeah. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8, there's some talk about the being disciples. You get references to community of prophets on occasions. Jeremiah seemed to have got Baruch, who's with him. In different ways, there's others in the background who are there supporting. So if you come to New Testament, who did Jesus have around him? Disciples. Jesus was perfectly capable of doing everything by himself. But what did he choose to do? Gather others around that he could have a, you know, it's a sounding board even sometimes. Yeah, how many times is Jesus actually conversing with disciples as a means of clarifying things for himself before he goes off and does it? Yeah. You know, we read it as he's teaching them, but it's also clarifying purpose in his human side to actually go and, uh, and do things. So although prophecy is a lonely task and it's not for everybody, the community has to be a part of it, of enabling the person to recognise their calling and then supporting and encouraging as they carry it through. And not all running away the moment there's a bit of opposition to stand there and if you got thrown down the pit with the one who tries to get you out or at least takes your food down there, you know, throws you some food. Yeah, you, if you read the stories, you can see what's going on. Now, what are the themes that the Old Testament prophets in particular focus on? What are some of the issues that concern them? Yet we've had some examples about King saying whether or not should I go to war and but what are actually the issues that the prophets are outspoken about? Justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness, what else? Greed, greed and uh, having more than your share. Greed, cheating, avarice, cheating, rich and poor, that kind of thing. Yeah? Faithlessness. Hmm? Faithlessness. Faithlessness. Yeah. Spiritual. They often focus on that. Why are you going to the bar? Yeah. You're, 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 you're putting your trust in other gods. Mm -hmm. 
in so syncretism and those 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 kinds of things. Weights and measures. Not so the sweepings of the granary as if it were grain. So all of those things in some ways are justice yeah. and righteousness. Mm -hmm. Ethics. Morality. The poor. The poor. The whole community. The whole community. The ordinary people. The vulnerable people. The ones who get oppressed. The ones who get pushed around. The ones who've not got power, not got opportunity to do something for themselves. So they're speaking often to a person who has got a particular role. Because if you're at a sanctuary, if you've gone to the palace, if you've been invited to say something, it's going to be by a person of authority and power in some way or another, who is purporting to want divine guidance on something, or ready to listen to divine guidance, claiming to be, but then going to be selective as to whether they do or whether they don't. But you're talking to people in some kind of position of power and authority. So what are you basically going to be saying to them? What's the gist of the message going to be? Change. Turn to God, but what else is it about? What have they got to do about their focus? Not focus on themselves and their own desires. Not focus just on the smallness of their own narrow perspective, what's in it for me, what's in it for my immediate circle, to look at those that they've got responsibility towards the wider community within the word was it of the old bishop of Liverpool bias to the poor. You know, the ones who are most needy to change and to put them higher up the list of priorities when you're deciding something. So who are today's prophets going to speak to? Politicians. Elon Musk. Seriously. Elon Musk. That's. Captains of industry. That's the name. Captains of industry. Yeah. Possibly, but 
Who did the prophets go to? The advisors of. The heads of the church. Heads of the church. The prophets were sent to God's people. They were not sent to individuals beyond the community of faith. Now, okay, we're, we're in a different world, but the prophets go first and foremost to God's people. So the messages need to come to the leaders of the church, the ministers of the church, the elders of the church, the stewards of the church, the preachers of the church, the faithful in the church. Are we focused in the right direction on the needs of the wider community of all God's concern? Or are we so bothered about survival <laughs> and falling out with one another about which way you do certain things that we're inward looking instead of outward looking? Are we focusing on getting ourselves right and in a closer relationship with God and forgetting about the issues of justice and say it's them politicians that are playing? Mm. <coughs> Not one or the other, it's both. It, it's a both and, yeah. isn't it? Now, this is not strictly, I mean, it's within prophecy, but find Isaiah. Chapter 49. This is one of the passages known as the servant songs. You know the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. This is one of the other passages about the servant. Now, look at who chapter 49 is addressed to. Distant nations, or coastlands, or your peoples far away. What implicitly is that saying? Beyond Israel. Beyond the I mean, not the exile, but it's effectively saying to the end of the earth. If you go to the coastlands, flat earth, coastlands is you've got to the edge. So it, it's, this has got implications for everywhere. Notice what the second half of that first verse, what does it remind you of? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. It's very much this like this picture of a prophetic, a prophetic calling that's a lifelong prophetic calling. Yeah. So here the sermon is being presented in a prophetic. What do prophets normally do? How do they communicate? 
the word verbally. What's this person's word going to be like? A sharp sword. Cutting. Yeah, not mincing words, not going round soft speaking and uh, covering everything over. <coughs> what do you make of the second half of verse two? What do you know about, I've got the reference to a polished arrow. What kind of polishing an arrow? That's further true. Further true, it finds its target, doesn't it? What's happened to it? It's been hidden. It's been hidden. It's been polished. It's been like kept till the right time. And he said, "You're my servant, in whom I'll be glorified." What does the servant say in verse four? Been a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying and nothing has happened. It doesn't seem to have accomplished anything. What does verse 5 say? We get a reference again God who formed me to be his servant to do what? So what does to bring Jacob and Israel back to him Bring God's people. To bring God's people back into proper relationship with God, to deepen the faithfulness of God's people. So the servant is saying, whatever I've tried hasn't worked. God says, I formed you to bring this community of people into deeper, truer relationship with God. But what does verse 6 say? That's not enough. I've got a bigger job for you. That's not enough. And the rest of them as well. But the language is different. It was to bring Israel and Jacob back into relationship with God. Mm-hmm. What does it say about the nations? A light to the Gentiles. A light to it so that reaching out and implying that they do not know about God. And that God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is not about making them all converts, it's that God's salvation will reach everywhere. God's blessings, God's purposes will reach everywhere. So there's the two, both sides of it. You're supposed to be bringing God's people back into deeper relationship. You're not succeeding with that yet, but that's an ongoing task that's still what you've got to do. But add another one as well to be a light to the nations, to the rest of the world, 
so that God's salvation will reach everywhere. And that word salvation is, is wholeness, well-being, that kind of language underlies it. Now, if you're a light, what are you doing? Shining. Bringing illumination. Bringing illumination. Standing out. Standing out. Spreading more light. Spreading more light. If you're a light, what are other people doing? Coming towards you, but what if you're a light? Shows up the darkness. Your eye is attracted to light. So if you are the light, the and other people, what are they? What are they looking at? Okay. You. You. So you, by being a light to them, are witnessing, embodying all that you stand for. And that is gay. <laughs> Because if ever there's a passage that says your lifestyle has got to go alongside your words, it's that one. How dare we proclaim a message that says God is love and God loves everybody. And as Christians, that's what we believe. If our love is very partial. How dare we say that God demands justice if we behave in totally unjust ways and turn the blind eye to injustice wherever it is happening. Now, I'm not saying that we can resolve all the problems, but it's the attitude of mind and what we talk about and, and how we feel and present our concerns. The being prophetic, we've got books of prophecy. So we might have individual prophets still being raised up by God in our But we've got the record of prophets of God whose messages have been preserved. That come to us what should we do when we hear a prophetic word read to us. Take notice of it. Take notice of it. It should elicit a response. response. 
a personal response and a communal response. Yeah. The prophet who is screaming about social justice and about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, that word comes to us. And it might have been the 8th century BCE that being spoken about. But a prophet saw things, heard things, and did what? Interpreted it into their own context. Does that idea of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer resonate in any way with our <laughs> So what are we doing then? What did the prophets of old do about it? Uh, what did the people of old do about it? Sometimes nothing. Most of the time. <coughs> and what happened as a consequence? God brought, according to what the prophets said, unless you obey, there'll be destruction. Direct at God's hands, well, that's a bit we struggle with. <laughs> There were consequences. There were consequences. And I'd much rather talk about that, that there were consequences. Well, that's not how the prophets spoke, though. The they said God and the mighty. Yeah, but so you've got to go from context and such like into, you know, what's going on is that if you don't heed and change your ways and respond in divine ways, in accord with divine purposes, the consequences of this are going to be negative. In their day, they understood that as punishment from God. Some of it was almost inevitable consequences on what they were doing, and if we were writing it nowadays, we might write it in different language. The impact is exactly the same. It's that things are going to go pear-shaped. There is a chance at this point to do something about it if you've got the courage to change and to take seriously that vision of God and God's purposes and let that motivate what you say and what you do, and be willing to speak out against the decision that, well, we're not going to have any affordable housing in this development now, because it, the developers say they can't make enough profit out of it, so there'll only be one affordable house when there was a promise that originally there was going to be ten. If we stand by and let that happen, the rich get richer, will get poorer. We won't be popular. I'm picking up on the story from the archers then, if anything We won't be popular necessarily, but is being a prophet about being popular? No. It's about 
So the prophetic words come to us for us to translate into our own day as the faithful community who receive the prophetic message and commit to saying, I'm going to do something differently and we encourage our brothers and sisters to also do something differently. Because if you decide to do it as an individual, what impact are you likely to have? Not a lot. Not a lot. But if you all decide to do it, there's at least a chance that it might have some impact. You know, there were, I don't know how many thousands in the march yesterday. They've got the guts to do it. I wonder how many of them were Christians, motivated by their Christian faith. Some, some wouldn't they? But there are things that we should be doing. So, what are some of the issues that the Bible might speak into today in our world, in our communities. Very interesting use of the image of light, isn't it, in that passage? Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting that I find it difficult to work out the implication of it, but darkness doesn't stand a chance against lives. It can't cope with them, it can't resist lives. As such, but that seems to be far too easy a presumption uh, that evil will just flee in the sight of the light. But on the other hand, it's in a positive image. Yeah, and, and actually, John, I mean, you are right to be very anxious about how this works. Uh, and I'm equally skeptical in one sense. But one candle flame is hugely significant in an area of darkness. John's Gospel talks about Jesus as the coming of the light, and the light won't be overcome. It'd be the light of the world. It is all over the biblical narrative of being light and transformative. And there's lots of images in the Bible of a little tree <coughs> having a big effect, the yeast having a big effect. And sometimes I think we are scared that we're too small and therefore we won't do anything. But, I mean, I, I heard several years back that if a politician gets 20 letters on their desk, they'll say, the nation is really concerned about something rather. Well, 10 letters is not very many. 20 letters. 
you know, several people joining forces on something or another does make powers take note. And I think that image of light perhaps should encourage us to be more willing and okay if somebody puts a candle snuffer on us. It's like being thrown down the pit. You get yourself back up again and have another go. Because you don't give up because it is God and God's purposes that are pushing you forward. And there's that sense that God is in charge and if I get a bit of a setback, that shouldn't discourage me from having another go. Jeremiah didn't stop having a go. I mean, the fascinating thing in the book of Jeremiah is that he's saying we need to submit to Babylon. It's God's purposes that we submit to Babylon. Let's get the punishment over and done with. Let's refocus and then we'll be ready to go back again. But his closest friends can't believe that that's what's got to happen, so they cast him off down to Egypt to be with resistance. Down, yeah. So the one who was God's spokesperson, according to the book, isn't heeded even at the very end. Everybody else goes off, and then does come out the other end. But Jeremiah is off down in Egypt, kicking and screaming. So, our use of the Old Testament prophets should be that we look to see what the themes are, what the issues are. And as Anne was saying about Jonah, the, the themes there, there's themes of justice and righteousness in many of the 8th century prophets about rich and poor. And, but again and again and it's again, it's calling God's people back to a deeper relationship with God. And it's a calling them out when they're putting their trust in other things, mm. in politicians, in pension funds, in trade deals, in substances that will be some kind of a crutch in times of difficulty, in, in the me culture of, of thinking that you know, I'm the one that really matters. It's going against those kinds of things to see ourselves as the people of God in a deeper relationship with God. Now we need to get a bigger picture of God because the bigger picture of God that we have, the more we will respond 
in love and amazement and wonder and trust what God is capable of doing. If your God's tiny and in the box that you've made, and the shape that you make, well, you're not going to put much trust in that. But if God is universal, eternal, amazing, then that will encourage deeper faithfulness. And yes, we understand more about God through Jesus. But let's not bring God down to a human being. Let's recognize that what Jesus sets before us is what we as human beings can be as disciples following. Somehow or other, what we've done is we've brought God down to human size in Jesus and then said, I'm nothing like that and therefore I don't even need to try to get to that standard because I won't. And I'll be forgiven. And yes, we will. And there's a sense in being realistic about that, but our ambition is too low. Mm-hmm. Our ambition needs to be so much more, and our picture of God needs to be so much more. And we need to let the prophetic messages challenge us as the community of faith to challenge our church leaders to have more courage when they speak into the political realm. I don't know what Methodism is like, but sometimes I think the URC gets a bit fudgy and is a bit too polite. And the, the, the thrust of what he wants to say of criticism gets tempered down a little bit because we don't want to speak out of turn. Um, <laughs> And you don't need to be abusive to actually be firm and critical. There's a sense in which you have to get credibility yes. before you can speak. I'm yeah. thinking of yeah. uh, one of our ministers uh, that's near to Grenfell. Yes. And uh, a lot of things have happened in in the Methodist Church there. Yes. And now Mike Long yeah. has been asked to to speak to power really. That's right. And yeah. be part of. And we do find that there's certain of the Anglican bishops that get invited to be on certain commissions because they've got credibility. They've done something yeah. that's actually like getting their hands dirty. Yeah getting alongside, which is this being a light. It's witnessing to what you believe in. It's letting your words and your behaviour marry. If you're concerned about the poor, you can't be concerned about the poor if the poor are always over there, and I'm saying my prayers for the poor over there, and never going to get to know anybody who is poor. You know, if I'm avoiding getting to know anybody who's poor. Mm-hmm. Just that, the national level, the uh, The Trussell Trust to deal with food banks. Yeah. Uh, they're very much into, let's do stuff. Yeah. 
you know, uh, let's meet the need. But they increasingly said, it's a bit like the old saying, you know, when I feed the poor they call me a saint, when I ask why they're poor they call me a communist, whoever that great bishop was. But they are un unambiguously talking about justice now, saying we shouldn't be doing food banks, it's a, the system's broke. It's to do with universal credit. It's yeah. to do, now some of their supporters are very nervous about them doing that. They're saying yeah. we should be just doing social action. And as soon as you stray over to social justice, you get the Thatcher response of, you know, stay out of, and you can't, and, but you've got to build, but they build credibility in a way. And, 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 and it's a slow process at times, but it's making sure that you've got the confidence in God and what God's purposes are, and the willingness and the support of the community to do it. And so you learn more about God and worship God and get closer in relationship with God. You let the messages speak to you about what are the issues that God is concerned about, and it's the faithfulness of the people. So let's look inside and build up our own faith communities and where we wishy-washy. Let's get more focused on God and not on what makes it feel nice for us. And I know I'm being deliberately be something. What is it? And let's see what God is wanting us to do and have the courage to do it. And it's five o'clock and I've got to stop. <coughs> Janet, last year when I came, you had a lot to live up to <laughs> because everybody here who'd been with you was saying how wonderful you were. Well, I came last year, and when we knew you were coming back, well, as you can see, several that you saw a lot of hands that have come back. I want to say thank you for your insights, for your for your guiding us this afternoon, and I hope that you have been a prophet to us and that we've listened. And we'll go away and ask the question just given to us at the end. So thank you very much. And shall we thank Jack?